In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who is said to be barren, is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. A football match on the telly. We will be finished in time for you to get home for it, I promise. And can I just say that next Saturday, uh, round about lunchtime, out on the forecourt, um, we're going to be uh, offering the head in the hole thing that we've done before, so a big nativity scene and the opportunity for people to come stick their head through the hole, have their photo taken and, and so on. If you'd like to come down and join in with the fun and festivities of that, then I know that Fiona would be really grateful to, to see you. In our Christmas series, we're looking at voices from the margins. And it may seem a little strange to you that we're thinking about Mary as a voice from the margins, because, I mean, she's an integral part of the Christmas narrative, isn't she? Lots of little girls want to be Mary in, well, there it is, in the uh, Christmas nativity play, don't they? She's woven into Jesus' life story in the Gospels. Literally, from the cradle to the grave, Mary is there in Jesus' life. And, of course, we know beyond the grave as well. But whilst we may consider her to be central, actually, in her day, she was on the margins. She lived in a tiny, insignificant town in the north of Israel, Nazareth. She almost certainly lived in a poor family on a a near-subsistence lifestyle. She was a teenager. If she was part of this church, she would have gone out with the rest of them in the earlier part of the service. She wouldn't have stayed in here. Young people were not considered valuable in those days, except for their potential as adults. They were considered to be not yet adults. 
and for the most part were ignored. Not only was she a teenager, she was a teenage woman. Hers was a patriarchal society where men were in charge and women were not considered to be as important as the men. Women had to know their place and their place was deemed to be in the background. Even in the synagogue, they had to sit separately from the men and keep quiet. They had very few rights. But not only was she a teenage woman, she was a pregnant female teenager. Pregnant outside of marriage. Nobody believed this story of an angelic visitor and a miracle baby. I mean, would you? If you're honest. Her engagement to Joseph was was a very binding thing, much more than engagements are today. Only death or a divorce could stop the betrothal. We're told by Matthew that when Joseph discovered about Mary's pregnancy, he planned a quiet divorce to minimize her disgrace. Actually, he was possibly also trying to save her life because the penalty for adultery was death by stoning, particularly for the woman. Maybe that's why she hurried off to see Elizabeth so quickly after she had discovered that she was going to be pregnant with Jesus. It's the very next verse in the passage from Luke. Immediately, Mary gathered her stuff and went off to see Elizabeth. Perhaps even before she told Joseph? We don't know where Joseph finding out fits in in the chronology. But she certainly got away from the town gossips before the baby bump became obvious. She would have been taunted or ridiculed or worse. And maybe because of what Gabriel had said to her, Elizabeth was the only one who might have believed her story. Because she too had a miracle baby. Mary was on the margins. And yet God speaks through her through the centuries to us today. Astonishing things that he says to us through her voice from the margins. Now, we've seen nativity plays and we've heard Christmas narratives. We are pretty familiar and we can get a little bit blasé about the fact that Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel. I think it's a bit of an understatement when Luke writes, or our translation of what Luke wrote is, she was greatly troubled. Really? An angel appears from nowhere and she was greatly troubled. I think scared out of her wits would be a better translation. Gabriel had to reassure her, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. And amazingly, she seems to have taken those words to heart because from then on, Luke portrays her as acting with apparent composure. And the first thing I want us to notice from what Mary says is that it's okay to ask God to clarify his plans. I don't know about you, but if I were a teenage girl... And an angel had come along and told me the sorts of things that Gabriel told Mary about her becoming pregnant with this incredible baby. I think I might have had other questions than, 
How will this be since I'm a virgin? I would have had 101 questions. Mary wasn't doubting God. Elizabeth's husband, Zachariah, had doubted God when he told him that he, in his old age, was going to be a father. What Mary wanted was a little bit more information, please. To put it delicately, uh, was there going to be a human father? And the answer was that God's spirit and power was going to overshadow her. That word is used to describe a cloud that settles on the top of a mountain, rests gently, envelops. God's spirit, the one who is known as the breath of life, was going to fill her, surround her, and create that new life within her. It's okay for us to ask God to clarify his plans. I think particularly if what we think he might be asking us to do is a little bit more unusual. When I was 13, God first said to me that he wanted me to become a Baptist minister. I had questions. First of all, do I really only work one day a week? That got answered fairly quick. But I needed him to clarify how it was going to happen, when it was going to happen. What do I need to do in order to get ready for this? I don't know exactly what he may be asking you to do or what he may be asking us to do as a church. But we're not trying God's patience if we ask for more information. Tell us a little bit more about this. Unless we're actually just trying to delay the moment or even make excuses. It's okay to ask for clarification. Saying yes to God takes faith. Luke tells us that after Gabriel had answered Mary's question, she came out with these astonishing words. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. That's incredible faith, isn't it? This teenage woman had been given the most unbelievable news that she was going to be pregnant with the Messiah without a human father. And she says, in effect, well, if that's what God wants, I'll do it. Wow. Do you think she had a dry mouth and her heart was pounding in her chest as she said it? Quite possibly. Do you think she understood all the implications of what she'd just been told? Almost certainly not but she had enough faith to know that if this was what God wanted, if he was in this, if he was the one asking her to take that risk, then she could trust him with the details. And God's spirit who was surrounding her and within her would remain with her. How do we respond if God is asking us to do something which is taking us out of our comfort zone? Do we trust him enough to say, I am the Lord's servant? We are the Lord's servants. May it be to me, to us, as you have said. And the brilliant thing is that if we don't think we've got enough faith to do that, to say that, 
We can ask him and his spirit will grow that faith within us. It seems that Mary packed her bags and headed off to spend time with her relative Elizabeth immediately after the angel had spoken to her. And as I said earlier, perhaps even before telling Joseph. Elizabeth was carrying a miracle baby because she was pregnant beyond her menopause. Let's just for a moment read how Luke describes Mary's arrival at Elizabeth's house. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. The baby in Elizabeth's womb was the one who would be John the Baptist. And he seems to do spiritual somersaults inside her when he heard Mary. It's a supernatural moment that's just worth pausing to consider. This special baby in Elizabeth's womb seems to have sensed the God-conceived baby in Mary and leapt for joy. Later in his life, John the Baptist was the one who would introduce Jesus and his ministry to the world. And he seems to have started that process of introducing Jesus even before he was born. And in turn, Elizabeth, filled with the Spirit of God, speaks God-inspired words of blessing and encouragement to Mary. Three times in just those few verses, she speaks of blessing. And then the beautiful God-inspired words that Mary spoke in response, which we'll explore a little bit later on, and which we sang earlier on, speak of how everyone will consider her blessed from now on. And we do, don't we? But let's, before we get too carried away with these blessings, not forget the apparent disgrace of her pregnancy outside marriage. That outside Elizabeth, it seems nobody at the time believed the story of the angel's visit. How could Elizabeth call her blessed? And Mary say that everyone would call her blessed. At that moment, it was pretty bad. But they had the eyes of faith. They could see beyond the crisis to the opportunity. They trusted that God was in this. And if that was the case, then they were indeed blessed. We won't always understand what God is up to. It may not look the way we hope or expect. But we can seek to follow the example of these brilliant women and look for what God is doing, and considering ourselves blessed because of that. One of the key themes of what Mary spoke in response to Elizabeth that we explored with the children earlier on is that God reverses the order of things. 
Mary spoke of how God had transformed her from a humble teenager into someone who would be considered blessed throughout history. And then as she carried on, she speaks of how God scatters the proud, brings rulers down while lifting up the humble, sends the rich away hungry whilst feeding those who are hungry. And what she was saying was fulfilled beautifully in the life of Jesus, wasn't it? He constantly went to those on the edge of society and brought them into the centre. Whilst at the same time criticising the hypocrisy of those who thought they were more important than everyone else. When Luke tells us about the start of Jesus' ministry, he tells us Jesus began in the synagogue saying that God had sent him to proclaim and bring good news to the poor, freedom for prisoners, sight for the blind, releasing the oppressed. It's a very similar theme to Mary's proclamation. And you know, God's still doing that today. He's still wanting to restore his kingdom values into the world. Values that challenge our human tendency to seek power, wealth and status and instead look to those on the edge of society and say, God wants to bring you into the centre. And he does that through us. This profound statement that Mary made, the Magnificat, comes from the Latin where we translate, my soul magnifies or glorifies the Lord. How can you make God bigger? I mean, he's infinite. You can't make God bigger. I think what she was saying was that the God was becoming bigger for her in her perception. Her awareness of just how incredible God was, was growing. Her thoughts and expectations of him were being enlarged as she reflected on who he is and how he is and what he was doing and what he was going to do. And we can magnify God too. When we sing together, when we worship God together, we are magnifying him because our awareness of him, our relationship with him is growing. When perhaps on our own we read our Bibles and we pray and reflect on who God is, we magnify him because he becomes bigger in our minds and we recognize our place in his plans. When we join in with what he is doing, we magnify him. We experience the privilege of him choosing to use us to fulfill his purposes, just as he chose to use Mary. When we tell others about Jesus in our life, we magnify him for those people. We can magnify God. Another key theme that we hear from Mary is that God saves. Her baby was to be called Jesus, Gabriel said. The Greek version of Joshua, which just means God saves. 
when Gabriel eventually told Joseph what was going on, he explained to him that he was to give him this name because he would save his people from their sins. Sins are an unfashionable word today. Unless, unless you're describing something that's naughty but nice. Ice cream could be described as sinfully delicious. Seems that sin has undergone something of a spin. But in reality, sin describes the helplessness that we all experience when we're cut off from God by our own innate ability to make a mess of things in our relationship with him, in our relationship with other people, in our relationship with his world. We need a saviour to sort out sin. And in the Magnificat, Mary said that her spirit rejoiced in God, her saviour. Through Jesus, he was going to make it possible for anyone who has faith in him to have their relationship with God restored. Forgiveness, restoration, reconciliation, redemption. All of these words flow from what Jesus did for us on the cross. He did what we can't. He dealt with sin on the cross. And when we share bread and wine in remembrance of him, part of what we are doing is remembering the cost of our salvation. That Jesus, our saviour, has saved us from the effect of sin that separates us from God. But right at the start, before Jesus was born, Mary's willingness to be a part and her faith are at the heart of God's salvation plan. Ultimately, that's what she was doing. She was being part of God's salvation plan. And he asks us to do the same for other people. We're not going to give birth to Jesus, but we can help God's Spirit give birth to faith and in Jesus in other people. What does Mary tell us from the margins? Well, it's okay to ask God to clarify his plans, especially if they seem strange or difficult. Saying yes to God takes faith. But his spirit gives us that faith if we feel that we lack it. We are blessed because God is in us and with us. The God who lifts up the humble. Who considers you special. He invites us to magnify him in our own lives and in the lives of others so that they might know too that God saves. I wonder who these words are for today. Are they for you? Are they for a friend of yours or a member of your family? Someone you will meet this week that you don't yet know about. 
If you have a moment this week, read Mary's song, The Magnificat. Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to 55. Read it slowly. Try and think of how the words and the concepts might apply in your life or in the life of somebody else that you know. Who needs lifting up? When has God turned things around? When have you experienced his mercy and his blessing? And then perhaps you could magnify him. In your thoughts, maybe if you're musical, in song, or in poetry, or drawing, or dance even, or prayer, in the way that you are with others, or what you do to help others, who you tell about him, we can magnify him. As we come to share bread and wine, we're going to sing afresh of the love of God, shown to us in Jesus, that we celebrate as we share bread and wine together.